Hi everybody, this is Steve Hargadon and welcome to the Future of Education interview series. It's Wednesday, October 21st, 2009. And Esther, will you say your last name for me? Uh, Wojcicki. Wojcicki. Yes. Did um, I get that right? You've got it right, yes. It's um, actually not pronounced the way it looks phonetically. It's Polish, of course, and so it's a little difficult to uh, to get the pronunciation right. Even I actually me. looked it up and it gave alternate pronunciations. But let's let's make sure I've got it right. Wojcicki. Got it. Perfectly. Okay. Nice to have you here. So this is futureofeducation.com and thanks everybody else for being here as well. Uh, Future of Education is sponsored by Learn Central. This is my Illuminate passion project. It is a social network for education. It has Illuminate baked in. You can do the things that we're doing here for free. We do want to encourage you, if you have any inclination at all to host your own webinar series, that's my job is to help you to do so. It's also a great uh, opportunity for you to use Illuminate in any form and to get some training if you'd like. Now coming up on the futureofeducation.com and conversations.net, uh, next Monday Michael Horn uh, will be reporting on Florida Virtual Schools. They've just done a new report at InnoSight on Florida Virtual Schools. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not next week, it's the week after because next week I'm at the T plus L conference. The day after that, Tim Westergren from Pandora, which should be a blast, talking about how music has changed. November 9th, the Not School Folks from the UK and Michigan talking about their virtual program for students who dropped out of schools. Henry Jenkins on the 10th, Halverson and Collins on Rethinking Education in the Age of Technology on the 11th, on the 12th, Larry Cuban. What a full week that will be. Howard Rheingold comes back for Howard's Brainstorms Part 2 on November 19th. Dan Willingham on Why Students Don't Like School. Bob Compton on Two Million Minutes. Curtis Bunk on The World is Open, the biggest book I've bought this year. Angela Myers on Classroom Habitudes, and much more. Please stay tuned. Love to have you participate. You are in Illuminate. This is an interactive environment. My hope is to give you a 30-second overview of how you can interact. This is a participative uh, session tonight. Right below the participant window, you can see some small emoticons. There's a smiley face, a clapping hand, a frown face, or a confused look, and a thumbs down. You can also raise your hand if you'd like to ask a question using the microphone. To make sure that you do, your microphone is configured, if you think you might want to do that, go up to Tools Audio and run the Audio Setup Wizard. Below the participant window is a um, chat box. You can see the chat taking place. I'm going to tell you if you like the chat, and I do, and it seems to fly by pretty fast, just go up to View Layouts and change yourself to the Wide Layout. That will help you follow the chat a little bit better. It reconfigures the screen and gives more room for the chat. Although it appears that you can send a private message in the chat, the moderators do see all private messages, so they're not fully private. Um, below the chat window is where you would click to talk on the audio button. And if you have any questions during the session, please put them in the chat, and it will be my job to answer them for you. Now I'm going to give you your first chance to participate. And next to this map on the left, you'll see a little wand with a red star at the end. Click on that and then click on where you're listening from on the map. Some of you have shouted that out in the chat already. It's awfully fun to see. Hey, we keep drawing in Australia. I love it. Wow, this is really exciting. 
from all over the world. Yes, and, and actually, this is a pretty U.S.-centric audience tonight, uh, but you know, uh, probably for good reason. But it, it sure is fun to know that um, Barb from Oz is participating and can participate from around the world. Okay, so this is a this is a treat for me, uh, a special treat for me to to have Esther on the show. Uh, we've got a, a range of topics that we want to talk about, but Esther. Uh, could you start by sort of introducing yourself and talking about how a journalism and English teacher becomes chair of the board for Creative Commons? That's a good question. <laughs> Very good question. So, um, so I've been a journalism teacher at Palo Alto High School for about, um, oh, let's see, I guess 26 years. And when I first started, the program was pretty small. And um, now it's much bigger, and we have multiple journalism teachers. And um, for example, Paul Kendall, who just won the uh, Dow Jones Journalism Teacher of the Year Award, and Ellen Austin, who's from, from Minnesota, she came all the way out. And um, we also have Mike McNulty. And so um, I've been very interested in journalism actually my whole life. And uh, I started as a journalist. I worked as a journalist, and then when it, became just more difficult because I had three kids. To be a journalist, I became a teacher. And so I've been interested in kids writing and been interested in them sharing and um, spent a lot of time thinking about that. And the program gradually built up over the years. And the, the reason I actually got connected with Creative Commons is kind of an interesting reason. I was working, I was working as a consultant at Google for um, the Google Earth project. There's a lot of educational materials on Google Earth. And <clears throat> while I was doing that project, I realized that not everybody could take those pro those materials and just download them and mix them up and do a variety of things with them. And so I called up Creative Commons just out of the clear of the sky, and I asked them what it took to, uh, to license materials with their license on it. I guess they were kind of shocked to hear from me. Um, and I was I never I didn't really know too much about them. So that was my introduction to Creative Commons. And um, from there I became more involved in the um, in the organization. And then um, just you know, with, as a teacher I became involved in trying to help students share. And as time went on, I became more and more involved and then um, at some point they asked me to be on an advisory board and I did that and then after that I um, they asked me to join the board, which was a real honor. And so then I joined the board, which was also pretty exciting. And then <coughs> about nine months after I joined the board, I, they asked me to be chairman of the board. I, I actually thought that they sent the email to the wrong person. I, wasn't, I couldn't believe it. And so um, I had to verify this. And um, so that was very exciting, and I was very happy to be able to serve in that capacity, and that's what I'm doing now. And so one of the projects that um, I initiated together with Arash Bissell, who is um, director of CC Learn, is this um, Journalism 2.0 project that we're working on right now, which basically is to try to understand how students in the high school sector um, feel about Creative Commons licenses. And um, I think I'll stop right there because maybe I've answered too much of your question. 
or maybe I haven't answered, you know, exactly what you wanted, or maybe some other people have questions. So, um, have I answered your question? Oh, I think you're doing great. So, I've, um, there, you may have, you may or may not be able to see the chat easily. This is this can be a, a confusing environment the first time you're here. But Steve Wilmarth is presenting uh, at a NMIT Media Literacy Conference on Saturday. Uh, I think specifically about uh, student collaborative and journalism projects. And Christine is here from Kariki, and you're getting some props from her. Uh, looks like you may be an advisory board member. I am an advisory board member on Kariki. Um, I actually, um, it was about the same time that I became sort of connected with Creative Commons or aware of it that then I also became aware of Kariki. And so um, I got pretty excited about what they were doing. And so with, in time, they asked me to be on their advisory board, which was also quite an honor. And well, um, so we're going to do a little bit of a tour. But before we do so, I'm kind of interested in um, finding out from you what your use of technology has been over the course of your teaching career. And sort of can you help put in historical context where you think we are right now with regard to technology and education? So over the course of my career, um, so I started teaching in 1984. And um, when I first came to Palo Alto High School, the newspaper had 19 students on it. And um, we actually typed the newspaper up on a typewriter. And then the kids would cut out the stories and paste them on a pasteboard with wax. And I used to hand out razor blades, actually, to all the kids so that they could cut their stories properly. Um, people actually can't believe that, but it's true. Um, and so we went from the typewriter era to the um, first computer era, which was um, it was a sort of cast off HP computers, which uh, were really pretty difficult to use. And from that, in 1987, no, it was 88, I got a grant from the state to get some Apple computers. And so I, um, I got about seven, I think, Apple computers. They arrived in the box, and I did not know how to use them. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to set them up. They just all arrived. And from there, um, it you know it took time. I figured out how to use them. And from there, we went to um, the little tiny apples. We grew with the pro with the technology to the bigger apples, and then we're now with um, the Power Macs, which are great. But in the process, what's happened is that now, so before everything was handwritten, and um, kids could not revise really very well. It was really a difficult thing. Um, or they typewrite, it was on a typewriter. We actually used to pay a student to type this stuff up for us. Um, so now we um, have this amazing facility, of course, with the computers where students can not only write their things online, they can collaborate. Because the whole program is based on the Google Docs. Because Google Docs, they can collaborate and they can see each other's work. Um, so I don't have to be the only person that's correcting the work. They edit each other's things. And then also, I can always store everything that they have online um, and go back and find something. And I don't have to deal with different versions of, of the different programs. So back in the 1990s, we used to deal with Microsoft Word on a regular basis. And the problem with the Word was that one kid would have one version of the Word at home, and I would have another one at school. And it made it really difficult <coughs> for me to 
for them to upload stuff. They would lose it all the time. There was a lot of problems with it. Well, so then, Go ahead. So then with the advent of this, um, you know, I guess it's your word processor in the cloud is what it is. Um, it just made a big difference to me. And um, so my students write uh, a lot, a, a ton of stuff. And it's all because I can uh, allow them to work on their things at home. And then they also work on their same, the same um, essay, for example, in class in exactly the same place. They don't have to email it to themselves, all these different versions. It's just like always there. And I can see the revisions that they did. It's all time stamped. So I guess I'll, I'll stop with that. Does that give you an idea of how <coughs> I've gone from the horse and buggy phase to now I feel like kind of like I'm in the flying saucer phase. Um, it's very exciting at this point to deal with the technology. My whole program, the journalism program, all different publications, every single one is based in the whole technology area. So if, if the computer industry for some reason disappeared, I just have to stop teaching. <laughs> I don't know how I would function. Okay, well you and I had a conversation about this earlier today when we made sure your equipment was working. And you're talking to a huge Google Docs fan. Howard Reingold was on the other day talking about brain tools. And what's interesting for me is that for me, Google Docs is my primary brain tool. It's, an, it's become an extension of how I think and, and work. Not only because it's in the cloud and I can get to it from any computer, but there's something about the security of knowing that it's backed up that somehow liberates me from worrying about the technical aspect and allows me to focus on the content. And it's surprising the degree to which it does that. But uh, I, Google Docs is probably the, the, my single most used tool. Well, we told the story, you and I talked, and I told you the story of the teacher in Michigan who was in her late 60s who said that if she had to go back to teaching without computers, that she would prefer to retire. And I think there's a lot right. of... I, I uh, agree with her. <laughs> Great. Well, I think there's a general perception that, that computers have not really transformed education. Do you think that, um, that, that it's because you're in English or, or in journalism where you're actually typing and the word processor makes such a difference uh, that that's unique? Or do you see the same kind of transformation that you're experiencing taking place in other classes as well? Well, I see it taking place in not only in my journalism program, but in my English classes. Like, for example, today, my freshman, in my freshman English class, are writing an in-class essay, which they then will edit collaboratively at home online and then turn in to me on Friday. Um, I couldn't do that um, if I didn't have the technology to do it. Also, another thing happened today, which probably would have set any teacher. So I was in the computer lab, and another teacher came in and said that she had signed up for this computer lab. So here we were with like 50 kids right in the same lab. So then we both looked at the schedule. It turns out that one of us was in the other computer lab. And so I volunteered to go to the other computer lab because my kids are all on docs. All they had to do was close it and go to the other lab, open it up, and there was no problem. They didn't, hadn't saved it on the desktop or saved it in some other folder. Um, so that actually makes, uh, it, it, that really has impacted um, my class as a freshman English class. I can also tell you the social studies teachers have also been uh, positively impacted by the, the computers because they're using Google Earth in a variety of different ways to be able to see um, 
you know, different countries that they're studying. They can actually, you know, there's a variety of programs out there where people can actually um, collaborate with other students, like ePals. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where students around the world. Um, so I know social studies has been using it. Also, they use it for research. People actually don't use the library anymore. It's kind of shocking. In our library today, we have 40 computers. And kids go in the library and they look up stuff on the computers. I mean, it's, uh, well, the books are still there, but the library has changed dramatically. Um, and then math. And math program, math right now, the poly math pro department is participating in this study where in Algebra 1, kids are learning some computer science and they're going to be able to program their own cell phones with um, stuff that they learn in the algebra program. So it's, technology has just invaded the space um, everywhere, as far as I can see. I haven't talked about science, but I don't know. Is that do you have any other questions about that, or did you want me to know, tell you some more about what science is doing? No, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing to explore, and I'm wondering, all, you've got someone from Cascalea, Steve is here, and I think Matt as well, and uh, Pally, and these tend to be schools that have um, students of a higher income level uh, and, and potentially have resources. Do, do, we, do we run the risk, or do, how, do we feel, how do we think about uh, access to technology for students who aren't at schools like Pali or Castilea? You know, that's a good question. Um, so I did a, uh, I was, I have been working with teachers in other cities around the country. And um, frequently, the computers are not properly maintained. And so some of the teachers have a hard time using uh, technology. Also, the other problem is that there's not sufficient numbers of computers for teachers. So they can't really um, bring the whole class in. Um, uh, there, there's a, there are a lot of technical issues. Computers need to be supported uh, district-wide. So we are very lucky at Pali because they are supported. They're well supported. Um, on the other hand, I do think that all this, um, everything is going to move to a smaller format or smaller platform. So there, things are in the process right now of moving to the handheld. And the prediction for the future is actually it's going to be moving to the netbook in the schools. Netbooks are going to be dropping in price even further than they are. And so kids would, if every kid in the school had a netbook and the schools only paid two to $300 for a netbook, it would increase access for some of the kids in the poorer areas. But all those kids still have cell phones. And if we can program material for the cell phones or apps for the cell phones, it would be interesting. Um, it, would, it would level the playing field to some degree, but not completely. Because it's very hard to write an essay on your cell phone, let's face it. But you can write an essay on your netbook. So um, yeah, I do think also there are some, pro there are some groups that are working to try to help change this digital divide if one economy is doing that. There's a lot of groups out there that are working to, to try to change it. But it is a big problem. I, I do see it as an issue. Matt makes an interesting point. He says the real digital divide, though, is going, going to come down to schools who are accepting of new teaching methods and those who aren't. He doesn't think it will come down to hardware and access. always love having Matt on. Um, let's start a web You know, that's an, there, can, Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to respond to what he said, because I think he's right. 
you know, I think it's not just the technology hardware. It is also the attitude. There's a lot of attitude issues about using technology in the classroom. And um, I don't know what we're going to do in, with teachers in order to be able to change those attitudes and for them to, um, to realize that technology is really the key to um, improving student engagement. It's kind of like a magic pencil. You put a kid in front of a computer and ask them to do some other, you know, to create something and they get much more engaged than they would with just a book and a pencil. Anyway, the, I, I agree with them. Well, good. So I'm wondering if it might not be fun to uh, start the web tour by going to your um, your uh, online journalism website. Um, some, I think Peggy yeah. had mentioned it. So do you have an address for that handy? Is there an easy way to get there? Yes. Um, let's. I let's see. Where do I? Do you, are you going to type that in for me? I'll type it in if you want to give it to me. Or you uh, yeah. Voice.pally.net. Oh, here, it's your guide. You. Yeah. Let's see, it's coming. It hasn't come yet, but I assume it will be there. Am I it, oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. So those of you who are seeing this on your so screen, you can is, actually scroll um, through yourself. Sorry, Esther. You can scroll through this on your own, and you can also change the size of the window if you would like. Go ahead. So this is the um, the Pali website. It's undergoing re, um, revision at the moment, and um, we just we had something very exciting that just took place, and that is that the kids that, who are participating in the Journalism 2.0 program, which is it's the Campanile Verde Viking in well actually not in focus yet. In focus is the television program. Um, and not Calliope yet, but the, these three um, are using Creative Commons licenses, um, or they're going to try to use Creative Commons licensing. And so what's going to happen is that um, kids will be able to select, when they upload a story, they'll be able to select um, the license if they want to li license it with a Creative Commons license. Um, and if they don't, they don't have to. And they'll do it for every single story that they write. So they don't have to do it for every, all the stories. They can just decide on their own which ones they want to um, have with Creative Commons licenses. So for example, here is a story that kids just wrote about Voice Begins its collaboration with Creative Commons. And if you take a look at the bottom of this story, I'm scrolling down here. You'll see they have this license. It's a Creative Commons, CC Creative Commons, attribution non-commercial license. <coughs> and um, so they, the, in class, the kids have been debating whether they wanted to use non-commercial licenses or um, just the attribution license or whether they wanted to have um, share alike or no derivatives. Those are the four main features that they can have. They can have, again, it's attribution, non-commercial, share alike, and no derivatives. Those are the four main ones. And so we have, they have a choice. And this kid picked 
uh, non-commercial, and that was basically it. But if you go through and look, you'll see that um, they're they're starting it. So this is the first edition of our of the year, the Campanile, and um, we have to they still have to fill in the editions from last year because the website is just being updated. And you can see that some of them have been filled in. We haven't filled them all in, but we're in the process. They have a lot of work to do, um, uploading all these editions. They were all online before. It's just that we've changed the website. And um, so does anybody have any questions? Yes. Any other questions about it? Please feel free to raise your hand if you'd like or to put a question in the chat. Um, You and I talked about the the thread at Classroom 2.0, where um, someone actually, a teacher actually looked at Creative Commons and thought it was a scam. And then I think you said today that, right. that you'll talk about Creative Commons with teachers, and they have no idea what it is. They think it might be a craft site. So, uh, how much educating still remains to be done? And and do you think that um, that there are lessons that you've learned that you want to share with us about how to do that? Yes. Um, so if you talk to most people about Creative Commons, they just don't know what you're talking about. And so I would like to try to get the message out to nationwide, to students and to their teachers, parents, you know, like what is Creative Commons? And wh why would anybody be interested in using it? And so the main message really is, is it gives kids and writers and anybody that's creating any kind of a Anything that that in the creative space, music or art or pictures, it gives you an opportunity for a different license. It's not like you're giving up your rights; you're just modifying them. So you have, typically, you have public domain. That's just one section, one part of it, the farthest section, and and then the other part would be like complete copyright. You know, um, without any sharing. And so in between, you have creative, the different Creative Commons licenses. And um, so you could just have an attribution license if you wanted. And um, you could, as I mentioned, you could have attribution share alike, which means that somebody would have to share the same way if they wanted to um, publish that material. So there's, there's um, on the website, we can go to creativecommons.org. On the website, you can see actually all the different licenses. Boom. <coughs> So here's a license. Here is the website, by the way. And so um, Shepard Ferry created this new T-shirt for Creative Commons. Very nice. And it's in honor of the. It's in honor of Creative Commons. And if you donate, you get a T-shirt. And uh, there's not very many of them. So that's. I just wanted to explain what that is right now. And um, so here's the licensing. And if you click on this part over here you'll see the different licenses that come up. And um, so what you'd be doing is if you wanted to license something, it's really simple. You just go through here, you answer the questions, and then the next thing you know, you select a license and you can license your work. And you can put your, your license on the work that you want. So if you click over here, you get an explanation of all the licenses. And it would be good to show kids these licenses because it, it's it's good for them to know that there are alternatives to copyright and that they don't just have to 
you know, sneak around and take stuff off the web and worry that they're doing things that are not legal because there are legal ways to share on the web. And um, so this is how you find the licenses. And I would like to, I guess I would suggest that um, that people just need to read these pages or the teachers, if you're teaching students about it, you need to read it to, with them and then they have to discuss it because usually I found that they don't understand it the first time that they um, that they're exposed to it. They really need to have they really need to think it through and like why would you want to license your work with the Creative Commons license? What's the advantage? Um, and so my students and actually Paul's students and Ellen's students have all talked about it and one of the things that they've discovered is that one reason you might want to license your work with the Creative Commons license is because then more people will pick it up, put it on their blogs or websites or whatever, and then if it's attribution, so then your it's kind of like free PR for your work, and um, it en it enables you to have a wider audience for whatever it is that you've written or whether you're using pictures or or music or whatever. Um, so that's one reason, and of course the other reason is just to share. Uh, a lot of people would just think it's you know it's very, the, what they have doesn't, doesn't usually have a commercial value anyway, and so it's a good idea to share it. Um, so does that answer a few of your questions? Does anybody have any questions that I should be answering at this point? So I'll keep asking questions until you do, but I, there there was one in the. Um, Kevin had asked if we could explain the differences, and I think you've done that. And and I'm kind of curious uh, for those who who uh, have sort of viewed copyright law as being the basis of um, how we think about and protect uh, mater created materials. Uh, does Creative Commons have a history in any way now that gives an assurance that if you use a Creative Commons license, that it would be held up if you ever needed to in a court of law? Well. Um, I think we have, Creative Commons has um, multiple lawyers that have donated uh, their time and energy to Creative Commons, and Larry Lessig is one of the founders of Creative Commons, and they've done everything they possibly can to make sure that these licenses would stand up in a court of law. And uh, so that's and right now we have about 20 people employed in the office in San Francisco and. They are they work on problems like this. They help you in case you have any problems. But um, I am not from not I don't I haven't seen any um, any recent threats. Let's put it this way to people who have licensed things with Creative Commons uh, licenses. So if you look over on the um, left side of the screen, you'll see the news from Creative Commons, and you can see that. For example, Al Jazeera has now blogs, all their blogs, Al Jazeera blogs go using Creative Commons. So it's, it's not just in the United States, it's, it's worldwide, it's in multiple countries around the world. And you can actually see all the countries that have Creative Commons licenses. If you take a look here, uh, International Community News, they're just Creative Commons is pretty much all around the world. Esther, you need to um, turn on the tour guide feature so that we, where you go, we go. 
Oh, it's not turned on. I'm sorry. Oh, follow me. Is that it? Hang on. We lost our browser. I'll, I'll bring it back and then just click the, that little tour guide. Um, go ahead and click the little tour guide box oh, at the top guide. right of the sorry. screen. Thank That's you. Okay. So what I was showing you, sorry about that, everybody. Um, so here's the international community news, for example. And it shows you all the different things that are happening internationally all over the world with Creative Commons. And um, you know, by the way, Creative Commons doesn't just have the um, doesn't just have the the core part of it, which is uh, Writing and um, art and music and things like that. It also has Science Commons, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with Science Commons, but Science Commons is also one of the is a very important part of it. And they're working with um, medical schools and universities to try to open up scientific publications so that they're available to everybody. And I just thought people might be interested in seeing this. So that is also part of Creative Commons. It's not um, it's not an individual thing. And a uh, question on that? Well I was just going to say it's hard to imagine this new social media culture in which there's s such an emphasis on sharing without this construct. Without uh, some ability to define how things get shared. It's, it just seems brilliant and almost unimaginable not to have it. But but clearly it still isn't uh, intuitive to a lot of people, and um, you suggested taking people to the site. Any other ways in which you like to help people begin to understand the value of Creative Commons? Okay, so I would take them to the sites, but then also I will, here's something that I thought would help teachers, and I bet a lot of the people out there are teachers. Um, so here we have CC Learn. And can you see there's all these different things here for teachers. So we have open ed that also it create has the I'm just hopefully everybody can follow this, which is a website that is really targeting teachers. And so what is open education? There's something for teachers, for learners, the open ed community, finding OER. So this website is actually really helpful. And so one thing I would suggest is letting kids spend one class period exploring Creative Commons and maybe even looking at this open ed. I think that they would learn a lot, like for learners. What is, what is open ed? What is the open education community for a learner? So um, like for example, I wonder how many kids know about MIT OpenCourseWare. Or I don't know if you know that Berkeley also has OpenCourseWare and that um, Yale also does. There's multiple universities that have this, and, and most students don't even know about it. So um, I, I guess I would suggest allowing kids to explore and to see what there is out there on the web. That's one one way. Um, but of course, another thing that you can do is to print some of these materials, and they we do have a lot of um, options to print the materials. So you can take a look at, I'm just going to flip back here to the main page. Um, and let's see, I can show you some of the, these under licensing the materials. We have all these different areas where you can uh, 
to go to the licensing part. Some some people in the chat are saying they're not seeing the website. If you're not seeing the website for any reason, move your windows around. It may be hidden behind another window, but, but uh, there should be a browser window up with the website. I, I will. I'm going to click here and put a, at least the current uh, web link into the chat so that you can see it. So if you go here, you can see all about the licenses, which is really useful. And then if you go on the right side over here, you can go to downloads. And there's all these different downloads. You can download the licensing. You can download all this stuff. But you can also go farther down here. And you can download what is Creative Commons. So these are like um, handouts that you can have in class that you can. And here's like uh, how to license a poster, licensing and making your content, sharing creative works, comics, encouraging the ecology of creativity. These are all things that you can hand out in class. And uh, it's a, there's a wealth of material on here. Um, and so I would suggest that, that teachers hand out the materials and then let kids talk about it. You know, or just hand out all these things and let them talk about what are some of these things and why would anybody want to um, license their stuff with Creative Commons licenses. The fact that they can talk about it makes a big difference because once they talk about it, they begin to understand it. And then they also are, they're actually really interested in doing it. My class, initially, they, they didn't understand why you would want to do it. And now they're, everybody is interested in doing it. And um, I'd like to show you this um, screen that shows the download here for how to download. I'm just going to go to voice.tally.net. I think if I can get this. Net. Not the downloads. Alright, you will see hopefully you'll see the screen in a minute. So this is this is how the kids upload their stuff. Oh, we're getting a login required screen. Yeah, well, I was going to log in. Well, you can't for us because it is each each person. Oh, I can't for you. Also. It's running on their own, but we could. There's another way to show it, and uh, we can switch. All right. To well, it's okay. So let me just tell you what happens when they log in. I'll just tell you about it. So what they do is there's a pull-down menu. It says Creative Commons right on there, and so then they can pick for every story the uh, license that they want for that story. It's just easy to do. It's just a pull-down menu for everybody that is um, uploading their story. And the reason we decided to do it that way was because we wanted kids every single time they uploaded their stories to be aware that they were making a choice, as opposed to just having one license that worked for the publication as a whole, or that one license that just you started in September and it went through June. But it's, we're, we're in the process of educating kids about this, and so that's why we decided it was really important to have it every single time they they decided to have a license or decided to upload a story, they would pick their license. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. And um, Matt keeps asking the question. He's very anxious to know what program you're using for Pally Voice. Is it built on top of a content management system? Do you know? 
we're using Drupal now. That's what they're getting ready to, or that's what they are using at the moment. But, but what originally the whole website was just built, we built it ourselves. Um, a student, or I should say a student built it, or a group of students built it just using, they just coded it. And so um, we are not using a specific web software program um, for building websites. Although if somebody wanted to have a, um, a program where they could easily build a website, there is one that's called, I think it's called High School Journalism Online. And they charge about $150 a year, but then they allow you to build a website. Uh, it's super easy. Very, and I think it's built on WordPress. It's a WordPress um, function. But anyway, so ours, ours is, we're using Drupal at the moment. Does that answer the question? I think it does. So um, one of the things I'm wondering is if you or anybody in the audience is using your students once they grasp the concepts to help teach the teachers or their parents or the community about Creative Commons or uh, some of these ideas? Great question. So, so far we've been only started this in September and now I think we're in October. And so we haven't gotten that far yet. But we did involve the parent community. So at Back to School Night, we all handed out a little um, brochure on what is Creative Commons and the study and how we're doing it and, and asked them to, well they had to sign a release for their students to participate in the study and so most of them wanted to know more about it. But it was interesting because the majority of parents didn't know what it was either. People just didn't know. So, um, and as time goes on we are hoping that kids are going to reach out to all the other kids in the school and help them understand um, what Creative Commons is. The, the Campanile, the student newspaper, is planning on doing a two-page spread on Creative Commons and what it is in January. And um, at that point, we'll probably reach out to the school as a whole. And it, it goes, we mail out about 4,000 copies of the paper. So um, at that point, I would suspect a lot more people will learn about what it is, at least in Palo Alto. Um, you know, we're also encouraging schools around the country. If anybody is interested in participating, we would be very happy to help you. And, um, or not just in the United States. So anybody actually anywhere in the world that is interested in engaging high school students and um, having Creative Commons licenses on the work that they produce. We would be happy to help. I see so a Journalism 2.0 social network forming. Yes, that's right. Journalism 2.0 social network. And actually to email me, I have a super easy email now. You don't have to remember my last name. So all you have to do is remember Esther. So it's just Esther at creativecommons.org. That's it. And I'd be happy to you know, respond or Paul Kendall will respond or Ellen Austin, any of those um, people. Or um, Alex um, who's working at Creative Commons and um, Arash Bissell. They're all, we're all working together on this. We'd be very happy to help out. So do you want to talk at all about uh, what Journalism 2.0 is as a project for you? Is it sure. more than you've described? Um, so basically, it's, it's a project 
it's been it's funded by the MacArthur Foundation. And it's a project to really understand what it takes to get kids to participate in, a, in Creative Commons at the high school level. So we're not trying to get them, we're not selling the licenses, we're discussing it. In other words, we're not, we're not trying to get them to license the material. It's more a situation where we are, we want to see what they think about it. And so we're documenting what they think about it. And we're documenting the whole process. So what does it take? What do kids think? What don't they like about it? What do they like about it? Is there something we can do to modify it to make it better? Um, how, how are we going to be more effective is basically what we're, we're trying to do with this study. And it continues. This is just a pilot, actually. And it continues until um, next September. It's about a year. And then after that, we're hoping to have another continuation of it where we would then be able to reach out to more schools around the country uh, that we are interested in participating. Also, I'm giving a talk on this whole subject at, um, in Washington, D.C. at the uh, Journalism Educators Association Conference. Um, I think it's the, t the 11th to the 15th of, um, or maybe it's the 12th to the 15th of November. And so we're trying to get people aware of what's going on um, with the sharing culture and get their feedback and see what they think. And so that's what that's where we're going with the um, Journalism 2.0 project. So I want to make sure that we open up for questions. We've got about 12 minutes to go. I have noticed that since we started, we've had uh, someone from China attending. And also, it looks like uh, Govinda from Nepal is on the line as well. So we, we so seriously exciting. expanded our, our international audience. Uh, so um, I'm going to let you look at the chat there, Esther. Uh, Matt asks, does writing okay. for a more global audience change the type of stories in the direction that your journalists take with their stories? Um, let's see. I can't. I can't see the chat, but if you could read it to me, what did, what did, could you repeat the question? Sure. So Matt asks, does writing for a more global audience change the type of stories and direction that your journalists take with their stories? Yes. And actually, I think that that is really a good thing to happen because we have to remember that we're all part of you know, a global community these days. And so it does make a big difference. And so. Um, Sorry, that's another phone. Um, so it, it does. So for example, if you think that you're reaching a wider audience, students write for an audience. At least my students write for an audience. And so if you're thinking you're writing just for the Palo Alto community, you're going to write one way. If you think you're writing for the Palo Alto um, parents, you write another way. You know, so if you're writing for the global audience, you write another way. And I do think that it does make a big difference. And if you license your material with a CC license and let people around the world pick it up, it's going to make a big difference. Does that answer your question? I think it does. And, and uh, certainly if you would like to take the mic, uh, Matt or Steve or anybody, please feel free to raise your hand using the hand icon with the green up arrow and we'll let you take the microphone. Uh, Rita asks, do your students interview email sources in the global community? That would be great. And if we, we would love to do that, to interview um, people within the global community. Um, at the moment, you know, this has all just started. 
And so um, I don't know whether they will. Hopefully, let's see, somehow or other I seem to have lost you. Do you are you still there? Absolutely. Are you not seeing or hearing us? I don't I see I don't see you but I but I hear you, fortunately. Um, but the screen seems to have disappeared. But that's okay. As long as everybody can hear me, I don't mind. We can see and hear you. Okay, that's great. So, um, any other questions? Sorry, you can have my mic on. Lawrence says, Skype's a great tool for interviewing even peer teaching. Uh, um, I've got a group right now using Illuminate uh, to do a journalism program with uh, U.S. students and students in Brazil. Uh, all of these tools, I think, are really wonderful and, and make a difference. Um, I'm looking for the chat to see if there are any other questions. Certainly, uh, please feel free to raise your hand. If not, I'll skip. I'll go back to my uh, regular questions. Tell me, Esther, what uh, programs you're tracking with regard to open education? Uh, and specifically maybe in California, are you watching anything in particular to see how it turns out? Well, I'm watching the Open Textbook Initiative to see how it turns out. And, um, you know, I don't, are you familiar with the Open Textbook Initiative and CK12, Nero Kosla? Yeah, I don't know a lot of details and maybe I'm not alone in that. Do you want to explain it briefly? So, yeah, Nero Kosla has this, this website. Um, it's called CK12. And what it is, it's basically it's a bookmaking website so that you can, it, it, the software helps you uh, create a book and that then has a Creative Commons license on it and then can be used by anybody who wants to use it. So you think, well, maybe it's just, you know, a few kids doing it and so forth. It turns out it's not true. So there's been some, in the like state of Virginia, they produce some really high quality physics textbooks. And these textbooks are actually um, on that website. The state of California actually has um, textbooks, Creative Commons licensed textbooks on the site. So the question is, what can we do to um, encourage the development of more textbooks that students can use online, download for free, and actually um, they can even print them out if they want to print them out for free. And so I'm watching that project um, pretty closely. Another project that I'm watching really closely is um, so that the government, the White House, is using Creative Commons licenses. I don't know, are you familiar with that? It's, an, it's under the Obama administration. They're now, they're now trying to use as many Creative Commons licenses as possible within the legal limits. Interesting. Um, I did not know it that. It is interesting. Yeah, and here's another thing. So Creative Commons is going to be, um, there, there is a, 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 um, a license called CC0. I don't know, have you heard of CC0? No, I haven't. Maybe not. Has anyone? Okay, so CC0 is like, uh, it's public domain almost. So it's a Creative Commons public domain license. And um, it is something that we're encouraging the government to use on all the government um, documents, primarily because if the taxpayers already pay for the documents, they should basically be open for everybody to use and to, if you want to copy something and then republish it, you should be able to do that. Anyway, it looks like a lot of this is being supported at the moment and I would keep an eye on what's coming out of the White House in the next month or two because 
it looks like they might be making some kind of a statement about you know using Creative Commons licenses on government materials. Um, so that's just something that, that we're we're hoping for, and it hasn't happened yet. And um, let's see if there's anything else that um. Hmm. These, these oh. definitely, for me, fit the category of game changing, right? I mean, the idea of an open textbook. Uh, the, the, this falls for me in the category of a, of a huge disruption that would take place. Are you seeing that as well? That this would sort of upsets the apple cart. I'm telling you, this is huge. This is a huge disruption because um, it would enable teachers to take part of a textbook and then modify it to their own particular needs. And right now, as everybody knows, you get the textbook, and if you need to change it, well, you know, heaven help you. You can't. You know, usually what you do is you make all these handouts yourself, and you modify it, and you know, you spend a lot of trees changing whatever you need. But this would enable you to have a textbook that's actually online, and that your students could access online. You could print out just a chapter if you wanted to. You could modify it. It is it is game changing, and um, as you might expect, it's a, somewhat of a threat to the textbook industry um, because, as you know, textbooks um, they 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 cycle. So every few years, you buy new textbooks, and as you update your textbooks, um, you have to buy them all, and of course, they cost a fortune. And um, so, the te I don't think the textbook industry has. Is looking upon this as favorably as uh, as the teachers and the educators and so many so people like that. So there have been two examples I've seen in the last year that really sort of stunned me, and not because they were that significant uh, in terms of technology, but they just they I was so appreciative of the immediate value that that was communicated. One was I think it's at the University of Texas where the language program, the foreign language programs, they have the uh, students, uh, the older, more advanced students, actually create the language materials for the beginning students. So they do all kinds of videos okay. of uh, circumstances in which you're speaking the language. And the students themselves actually become the teachers of the younger students. And there's a comparable program in Brazil, I think in the state of Paraná, where they have the college students writing the textbooks for the uh, lower grade students. Um, does, does that appeal to you in any way? Oh, it's huge. Yes, it does appeal to me. I think it's a, it's a great idea. So my program, my, my, my journalism class has, um, last year had 70 kids in it, in one classroom. And this year, actually, I'm down a little bit. It was, makes it a little easier. I'm down to 60. And so the question is, how do you teach all those kids at the same time? Well, it turns out that what I'm doing is I'm teaching it's that they're juniors and seniors in that class. So the seniors become the experts, and they teach the juniors. So I teach the whole class, but they actually teach each other. And um, they train each other in a variety of different ways. They work with, you know, on writing stories, on grammar, on punctuation, on ideas, all this, um, all these ideas, all these different ways. So I also think that this works for, it doesn't just have to be juniors and seniors. You know, you can write books for younger kids. Kids learn a lot when they teach. In order to teach something, you have to know it really well. So um, it's a very effective way to operate in the classroom. And these kids produce really great work, as you can see. I don't know if you've seen on the online, you saw the picture of the Campanile 
Um, so we've won um, major awards. And then uh, Verde, which is the one that Paul Kandel produces, also has won some major awards. And then Viking, they just won the top three. I think it was top three writing awards in the country. All the programs are based on exactly this model of kids working with each other, helping each other, because teacher can't do it all. Not only that, you know that these kids are actually coming to school to see each other, right? And they're coming to school to see the teacher. So if they can work together in groups, they're much more excited about doing it than they are if they're just working by themselves, interacting with material as opposed to a, to a group situation. Hope that answers. Does that answer your question? Um, not sure. Oh yes, yeah, we could do this for hours. But my commitment, my commitment is that we keep it to an hour so that you uh, can go on and do the other things that you need to do. Uh, we are at about two minutes left. If you have any final questions for Esther, please put them in the chat. I'm going to go ahead and close the web uh, tour window. Matt's clapping, and I'm going to follow his lead and clap. Esther, thanks so much. You've just been been terrific to talk to you. Really fun. I hope this isn't the last time. We'll get a chance to do this, this again. This is a pleasure. It was actually so exciting for me to hear that there are people like from all <laughs> over the world. And as I said, anybody has a question, just send it. Esther at creativecommons.org. I'd be very happy to hear from you. Now, I would. I, I'm not going to ask you for a commitment, but I'd like you to think about bringing some students on and doing a session with the students about journalism 2.0. Maybe a small panel oh, of students. They would love it. They would absolutely love it. So I'd be happy to do something with, with my students. We would so love it thank too. You for, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it, the opportunity. Thank you for coming. Thanks to everybody for being here tonight. Thanks to Learn Central and to Illuminate for sponsoring the series. I'm leaving up the uh, list of upcoming events. When you leave the session tonight, uh, your browser will automatically pop up a survey for tonight's show. Please fill it out and let us know uh, your thoughts and how we can do things better and people we can interview and the like. Sure appreciate your being here. Thanks, Esther. Thanks, everybody, for coming tonight. I'll leave the room open for five or ten minutes if you want to chat at all. But if you need to go, just feel free to exit out. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to go. I've got a, another obligation. But thanks again. Don't apologize. Just go. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Bye-bye.